Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Now we want to move right on into the message. We're finding ourselves with this subject of consecration. Everybody say consecration. That is a fancy church, high church theological term to many of us. How many of you just last week were having a conversation with somebody and the word con- consecration just slipped in? You just find yourself dropping that word on people at the water cooler at work or when you're getting your coffee mug refilled at the K, at the Keurig dispenser, right? That you just say, hey, I was just been thinking about this word consecration. Why don't we have a conversation about that? And they just look at you like, never heard that word before. Those of us that know some of the great hymns of the church heard that word in there, consecrated uh, fully or all or totally to you. We hear that sneak into some of the different hymns. How many of you just recently have sat down and sung some of the hymns written in the 1600s, right? Right. Okay. So that word consecration uh, is an interesting word, and we ran across it last week as we were talking about building a memorial. So there's a connection here. There's a, a method to our madness. We're going somewhere, and the Holy Spirit is leading us. I do want to say here as well, we're going to close the service with at least two songs of worship. We're going to end the sermon in time that we're going to have a good time of worship. And this is a clue. If you would like to respond to the message, you need special prayer. You would like me to pray for you or someone to pray over you for healing. It would be a great opportunity if you don't want to come up around the altars to right where you are, turn around and kneel in your seat, maybe sit in your seat worshipfully, uh, enter into worship, stand to your feet, lift your hands, and just just make it on purpose that you want to enter in and respond to everything that the Holy Spirit is setting upon the table for you this morning. And we, we just want to make purposely more room for a response and a time in the presence of the Lord, a time to recharge the battery, spiritual energy to be lifted, something to be addressed, somebody to be delivered. It could be even an opportunity for someone to be born again. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Someone could respond and say, hey, you know what? The light has gone on. I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And we are doing everything we can. Are you ready for this? To consecrate the end of our services for the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So now you're beginning to connect the dots. Many of you said, I already knew what that word meant, Pastor. But others of you are now catching on. It's about setting apart for a specific and special purpose. So I want to connect back over here uh, to this memorial that we built and then we, I tore down so that the Cornerstone kids could graduate, and then we put it back up. And um, it, it's there. It's, it, it can be moved. It's this memorial. Last week we had Memorial Week, and we talked about building a memorial. But we don't want to leave that subject too quickly. And so we want to connect back to this idea. And then, believe it or not, we're going to move into the book of Acts, and we're going to connect the dots on how this, if we're not careful, we say, oh, that was back then. But how about today? What about me right now in 2021? I'm glad you asked that question because we're about to connect those dots. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. So another way to say that is you set yourself aside purposely for the purposes of God. Now, wouldn't it just be much more fun if an invisible hand took you and shook you? 
motivated you and moved you around and made you do things. In some ways, that would be frightening, wouldn't it? But for some of us, it'd be like, man, I don't have to do anything. God is just going to sweep in and do this with me. No, Joshua says, you, you engage and consecrate yourself and set yourself aside for the Lord. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. How many of you like amazing things? I love amazing things. I don't just like them. I look for them. I'm drawn to them like a moth to a flame. I want to be around amazing things. And I'll confess this to you. I would be most happy being around amazing things all the time. Go ahead. Threaten me with being bored about amazing things. I want to be immersed in amazing things. I want to be around amazing things. I want to experience amazing things, not merely for the sake of amazement, but because it talks to me about the idea that God is amazing, his grace is amazing, and his desire is to reveal that amazing grace. And God is not a God who thinks that once every 20 years is enough. He is a God who says, I can do above and beyond all you can ask or think. I can do things that are so spectacular and amazing, it's absolutely mind-blowing. How about it? And we hear that being said by Jesus himself as he comes to people and he says this question. This is a simple question. What would you have me do for you? I'll tell you how I want to fill that blank in. Something amazing, Lord. Something spectacular, something that will just rock my world. Not only that, but something that will powerfully touch the skeptic, the one that is hurting, the one who has finding themselves lost in despair and depression. Lord, that it would just upset the apple cart, set things on edge, that it would turn things around. Lord, that they would understand you're outside the box, that you are amazing and spectacular. Let this kind of be a theme that rings in our heart for the next weeks consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the lord will do amazing things among you can we just all say this let's just say this together it's a first step towards memorizing this joshua told the people let's say it with me joshua told the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the lord will do amazing things among you i like it how many of you are ready for some amazing things Now, here's a word about the role of the history of Israel and the life of the new covenant believer. Some people want to say, let's draw a hard line between the old and new. Let's forget about what happened then and let's talk about the New Testament. Because after all, we're a new covenant believer. But I'm glad that this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 11. Here's what he said. These things happened to them. What happened to them? Taking the stones out of the Jordan, seeing the Jordan River opened up so they could walk across one point something million of them and to do it quickly. These things happened to them as examples and were written down. Where were they written down? In the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. This is something that has been designed by God purposely so that we can leaf through it and read those letters upon those pages and in the back of our heart and mind say that really happened 
and it is instructive for me. It is something that I can go to, and it can be a warning, it can be an example, it can be an encouragement, and this is the power of the written Word of God. It is a written record of those things which really happened. And there are warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Do you know we're living in the last days? We started living in the last days when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. 2,000 years ago, the last great epoch of humanity, right there, because it's a time of grace. It's a time of him calling people to repentance. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He is not slow, Peter says, concerning his promises, as some men count slowness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Why does it seem like it's taking so long for Jesus to come again? He is delaying his coming because he wants more to be in his kingdom. Amen? Peter tells us that. We're in the end of the last days. And don't you know, it's getting later all the time. We have one less day between us and the coming of the Lord and the end of the what's called, in a fancy word, the eschaton. We're right there on the brink, on the cusp. Doesn't it just feel like it's one more second, one more click on the clock face, and boom, it's midnight, and everything could change forever. That's where we're living. And being a people living like that, I I suggest that we should be consecrated. We should really be a people set apart, purposely setting ourselves apart to the things of God. So we see consecration in the early church. I don't know about you, but it's helpful for me to see in the New Testament church something which happened in the Old Testament, and it comes alive for us. And let me read this singular verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is found in a passage that we're going to actually work through, but today we're simply going to deal with this single verse, and it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Pretty simple. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But what this is, is it's a revelation to us of what the nature of that consecration is that Joshua was calling the people to. This is the context in the very foundation of the early church. This is what they did. And the first word I want to draw your attention to is this, consecration. And let me take another word and put it there beside it, and addiction. Now, immediately when I say the word addiction, what do you think Something in your mind rings a bell, and it goes, ah, that's terrible. Oh, I know some people who are addicted. Well, there are people who are addicted to all kinds of things. I was, I was listening to, I, I, I listened to a, a broad variety of podcasts, and I listened to the Jordan Peterson podcast from time to time. He is a renowned psychologist who is on a spiritual journey, who has gone through a nervous breakdown, He is a very sympathetic and open-hearted individual, but he has admitted that he is drawing closer to Jesus as Christ and as his Savior. And I thought that was powerful. 
to hear that. He blames his wife for being the influence in his life that is revealing and drawing him to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm sitting here saying, isn't this amazing? I'm listening to a secular podcast, and I'm hearing a secular psychiatrist talking about how certain things just don't add up. And the only answer is faith. It's been a powerful experience. He was talking to a fellow psychologist on one of his podcasts, and they were talking about the idea of addiction. And here's what that psychologist said. He says, addiction, every human being has addiction. And addiction is a good thing. It itself is not a bad or good thing. The only question is, what is it that they are addicted to? Now, some of you say, I'm addicted to chocolate, but that's a good addiction. Some of you say, I'm addicted to sports, but that's a good addiction. And we could go down the list when we hear the word addiction and think immediately of certain things that when people are addicted to them, it destroys their structure of their life. It destroys their schedule. It destroys and dissipates their energy and their creativity. We have watched people of amazing talent and ability totally self-destruct with addiction. The problem is not that they get addicted. In fact, we should get addicted. The problem is to what are they getting addicted? And I have to, I want to fill in that blank to think in the terms of this, that they were devoted, that they were, consecration is something they're getting into, but to be devoted, let's fill that in with addicted. As we work with this today, let's think of the idea of what is it that I'm addicted to? Who is it that I'm addicted to? And can I just suggest that we become addicted to Jesus? That we become addicted to the presence of the Holy Spirit? That we become addicted to the things of God? That we give up other addictions because here's what happens. We don't give them up and then we get addicted to Jesus. How about this? How about if we realize that every one of us have an addictive personality? The only question is to what are we going to swing? And if we would cry out to God and say, I want to become a fully devoted, a fully addicted follower of Jesus Christ. How would that be for a prayer? And if we will become addicted to him, here's what happens. Interestingly enough, the other addictions are overshadowed. They fall back into the shadows, and we find out that they lose their flavor, they lose their pleasure, they lose their allure and their call, and their power is broken in our life, not because we're fascinated and focused upon that which addicts us, but because we have heeded the call to instead become addicted to him, to his word, to who he is. And he is greater and brighter and more awesome than any other pleasure that can be offered to us. And we can be a people who are both addicted to pleasure and find our pleasure only in Jesus, the Christ of God. Would you give him a hand this morning? They just need to switch addictions. Now, coping very often is taking a more healthy addiction and substituting it for a less healthy one. Somebody will substitute alcoholism. They will go the other way, and they will addict themselves to work 
and to production, and they will work themselves to death, and they will say, at least I'm not drinking it all away and ruining my family. But they find themselves addicted to their work. That's not going to work. It's more socially acceptable, but it's not the addiction we're looking for this morning. We're looking to become addicted to the Lord. And here are four things, if we'll become addicted to them, that will work that out into a consecration, and it can be said of us, then if we will consecrate ourselves to the Lord, what did Joshua say? You will see amazing things. Addiction to the Lord is the gateway to seeing and experiencing amazing things. Amazing things are reserved for addicts. Did you hear what I just said? Amazing things are reserved for addicts. And the question is, are we going to be addicted to him? Addiction one, the apostles' teaching. Oh, pastor, that sounds awful. Dull, dry, and boring. These people that became addicted to the apostles' teaching were people who had been raised in synagogues, had been trained by the finest, finest Pharisees and Sadducees. They knew the Scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. But what made the difference? Jesus was one who taught with a power and authority that the Pharisees couldn't teach with. And let me tell you what happened to his followers. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, And when they taught about Jesus and they taught how he was a fulfillment of all the scriptures, there was a power there. There was a tangible anointing there because they taught and conducted their teaching just like Jesus did. They would say later of those disciples, those apostles, wow, these guys are from Galilee. How is it that they're speaking with such power and authority? And let me tell you what had happened. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had received the lessons from Jesus and were following in his footsteps, and they were now breaking that bread of life. They were taking these doctrines, these understandings from the Old Testament. That's all they had. And they were teaching Jesus and him crucified and raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and a fulfillment of everything that the apostle, that the prophets had gone before them to say. What was their basic message? Their basic message was God loves humanity. Jesus said it, didn't he? God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. They were addicted. These apostles were absolutely addicted to a very powerful central message. God loves humanity. You Gentiles and you fellow Jews had it all wrong. You thought that God was looking for a way to destroy you. He found that millennia ago. He has been working many times behind the scenes and without you knowing to bring forth at the last days this Son of God so that you could handle Him, you could see Him, you could hear Him, you could know that God wants to move into your physical world. And He came and He died in your place. God loves humanity with a passion. Think about that. Saved or lost. People who are born again, people who are not yet born again, people who don't even know that there is a God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world. He loves them so much. He's passionately moved for them. And 
Here's the next part of the message. Humanity is broken. Look around this room. Look at this pastor. What are you looking at? You're looking at various stages of brokenness, some of them obvious and some of them hidden. But God who sees everything and knows everything and understands the thought before it's formed, he perceives and knows your brokenness, and he's not just desiring to let you know that he is, you are broken. He's coming to you and saying, I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to make the brokenhearted whole. I've come to take the pieces that are lying about and putting them back together with the sense that I can bring to you. Humanity is broken. That's the bottom line. But Jesus is the answer for all humanity everywhere at all time, in every culture, in every circumstance, in every situation. He is the great rebuilder, the great reunifier, the great healer, the one who sets free. Fire is the only purifier. Now we get, the earth gets, a ch- the earth is waiting for its chance to be purified, and, the, and Peter teaches that that's by fire. But wait, there's something before that, and that is the fire of the Holy Spirit. And the fire of the Holy Spirit brings purity. He comes into the most uh, poor life, the, the most broken life, the most destitute life, and he can take that life and cleanse it by his fire, burn away everything that is unlike God, and make it shining gold. Isn't that awesome? Don't you just love it when you hear the testimony or view the testimony of somebody who was absolutely shattered and left upon the ash heap of humanity and but God. Somebody shared the gospel with them. They were transformed and they found a fire come into their life and a passion come into their life and it jettisoned and burned out all the other junk and now they're walking around as a Jesus addict. People, Some people think they're crazy but others pay them attention because they're on fire. They're burning with a passion for the Lord, and it's a testimony to his fire. Another part of their message is, Jesus did this, and the disciples constantly do this. See if it's not true. You can look back earlier in the chapter. And they said, men and brethren, what should we do? And what do they preach? Repent. Repent, every one of you. What does that mean? Turn from your agenda and turn towards God's agenda. There's a way that seems right to a man, and the end thereof is a way of death. But I'm here to tell you, God wants to make his ways known to you by his presence, downloading them into your spirit. And here's the only way you get there is repentance. What does repentance sound like? Lord, I have all these fine plans I've been trying to get you to do in my life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let all those plans go. And I'm going to come to you and say, here I am just as I am without one plea. But that your blood was shed for me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to become addicted to you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to incline my ear to you. And you're going to set an agenda for my life. And I'm going to be addicted to that agenda. Would you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Addiction two, the fellowship. The fellowship. The Bible uses the word koinonia when it talks about fellowship and the word alelus, which means one another. We come together, and I'm here to tell you, the church should be. The church is called to be and should be an environment that is unlike any other environment on the earth. A healing environment, 
a unifying environment, an environment that is dedicated and consecrated and is full of addicts, people who are fully devoted to Jesus, though they are struggling and though they are weak and though they have frailties and though they're dealing with the brokenness of their humanity, they find that they're in a fellowship with people. They are with fellow strugglers, fellow addicts to Jesus and people who are addicted to other things and are trying to get the cycles broken. They're trying to get their brokenness healed. They're trying to stay in the position with Jesus and working with him and surrendering to him and taking those things that have been put into their life over decades to have them gloriously transformed and changed by his amazing grace. Isn't that the picture of the church? That's what the fellowship should be. Assembling together. Now, what did he say? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. Isn't it getting closer? Let me just say we should get together more. I have rarely been around a group of people that got together too much. Now, if you get together all the time and you exclude people, that's a problem. That's called a clique. That's called a country club, maybe. But when the church is wide open and it is open and honest and realizes, look, I'm trying to exchange some addictions here. There are some things I'm addicted to. I need to break those addictions, but I can't do it except by the power of God. And I want to become addicted to Jesus where we assemble together. And here's what we do. We encourage each other. And encouragement sounds like this. Don't give up. Don't give up on the edge of the miracle. Don't quit. God's going to do something amazing in your life tomorrow. We're going to get through this. And when God gets the victory, something amazing is going to happen. Don't quit before the grand prize. Don't quit the race. Don't stop. You're going to feel weary. You're going to feel like quitting. And how many times have we had that conversation with people? And how many times have any one of us in this place right now, including myself, walked through the doors and said, if God doesn't do something with me, if God doesn't have some touch of grace for my life today, I just don't know how I can stay with it and hang with it. And somehow, through a handshake, through a hug, through a word from something that comes from the pulpit, something in the praise and worship, a testimony, an announcement even, something happens and it's changed. Because the power of the Spirit is there and He can take the slenderest, simplest thing and make it powerful in our life and encourage us. It means to pour in strength. To encourage means to strengthen the heart that we cover each other with agape love. And what does that mean? We believe the best of each other. We're looking for the possibility that Jesus has for us rather than what it is the enemy has planned for us. We have our attention focused on what Jesus can do in somebody's life rather than what their personality and their habits will probably drag them into if they're not careful. And what we do is we begin to cover each other with selfless devotion and agape love. When somebody wants to talk you down and wants to talk bad about you and throw you under the bus, we won't tolerate that. And we say, no, no, there's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing hearing about that that we can do about that. But there's something we can do. We can surround them. We can receive them. We can accept them. We can identify with them. We can pray for them. We can encourage them. And we can speak the truth of the word of God. We can mentor them. And we can become a part of the solution rather than just talking about the wreckage of the problem. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. That's that's true. Which takes me to the next thing, guarding our conversation. You know, the number one problem, if you look through all the apostolic writings, especially Paul, 
What is Paul always chewing people in the church out about? Gossip. He's always chewing people out about that. What, what is gossip at its root? It's discussing something that you have no power over and no control over in somebody else's life. And talking about it is not going to do anything to aid or help them. And you then tend to sit in judgment on that person. And you tend to estrange them from yourself and from others and cut them off from the very thing they need. Which is to be accepted by people who don't think too highly of themselves and are focused on what is best and good for them and is invested in not only covering them with agape love, but making sure that they're not tearing them down with the conversation. Some of us are going to have to change the nature of our conversation because we often are discussing things about a person or a situation that we are absolutely powerless to do anything about. But... If we would keep it quiet and take that concern to the Lord in prayer, how many of you know that would be powerful? Lord, you see this, I see this, I don't have to let you know about this because you already know about this, Lord. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for them because I see them being overtaken in a fault. And rather than going and sharing around all of their faults and failures for the past years, I'm, Lord, going to come to you and remember my faults and failures and point to the times when you rescued me. And I'm going to stand here before you as a memorial and I'm going to pray and say, Lord, I'm lifting them up. I remembered when I struggled with that and you are the great deliverer you're the one that sets free and you can handle it on your knees rather than on the cell phone isn't that powerful isn't that powerful give the lord a hand clap that's that's truth we need to hear that how about this the breaking of bread the breaking of bread addiction number three the agape meal communion hospitality and invitation we don't do this today. Well, this would be a lot of, this would be quite the production. And all the ladies say, amen, I'm glad we don't do this today. But when the church got together on a weekly basis, you know what they did? They all had a meal together. And one of the features of the meal was communion. It was called a love feast. And here's what you did. That's where you invited people to come to have some of their first experience with the church. And they would come and see and experience this agape love, which a human being otherwise can't see or feel. It doesn't exist in humanity. It doesn't exist in the world. It only exists in believers. That's the only place that agape love exists. You can't ask the world to agape love. The best they can do is phileo love, love their brother, their fellow fireman, their fellow policeman, their fellow soldier. They demonstrate a willingness even to lay themselves down for somebody else and take a bullet. But Jesus says there's a greater love than this, and that is that your God, your Father in heaven loves you so much that he poured out his last full measure of devotion. And I have come, and I'm going to come lay down my life for you even though you're my enemy. Wow. That's agape. When we come together in this agape meal and we partake in communion showing the Lord's death till he come, it's a powerful demonstration of what it is that Jesus has done for the world. You know what? They at least need to see that. 
when an unbeliever comes and sits amongst us, they may not participate and probably should not participate in the table of the Lord, but they get to see it and to hear it. And it becomes a living parable of the fact that God gave him his son. His son gave his body and his blood. He is so intently serious about rescuing the perishing and care for the dying that he laid down his very life. And then here's what we do. We invite people and we become great at hospitality. Do You know, there's something powerful that happens when you invite somebody to have a meal with you. As their mouth opens to eat, their ears open to hear, and their hearts open to receive. It was in the context of breaking bread together that people were often shown and felt the presence of the Lord even at a table. Remember, he, re- he chose to reveal himself at a table in Emmaus and at a table in Jerusalem. We addict ourselves to that meal, to that time together. It's worth it, isn't it? And then number four, prayer. Addicted to prayer? Yes. In fact, the apostle Paul said we should pray at all times, in all circumstances, in many ways, in order to stay connected with the Lord. When you're in adversity, pray. When you're being blessed, Pray. When you're troubled by someone else's life, pray. Here's what we need to become to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. We need to become addicted to prayer. We need to become addicted to the following things in prayer. Thanksgiving. Branch out and take more time and just make lists if you have to. Remember he says, you consecrate yourself to the Lord. What does that mean? Become mindful yourself and do something on your own part and take an inventory and say, this is awesome. I'm going to live thanksgiving to the Lord. We come into his presence with thanksgiving. And the next one, we come into his courts with praise when we declare his mighty acts. Worship. When we move into an intimacy in his presence, intercession, when we begin to pray for others, requests, when we begin to lift our requests and other requests before the Lord, confession, when we begin to cry out in repentance and begin to lay out the things in our life that the Holy Spirit shows us, and we begin to confess them before the Lord. And then finally, we pray in the Spirit. Paul said, I pray in the spirit and I pray with the understanding also. When we kick a gear over into the the tongues, the glossolalia that we met in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 and and through 4, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and we don't know how to pray, but we can pray in the spirit, and I will just guarantee you one thing. When you pray in the spirit, you always pray the will of God for you and for other people and for your church. You can pray and ask for an interpretation. Very rarely do I get an interpretation of what I was praying. A lot of times I get a sense of where that was. At times it's, it's intercession for around the globe. I'm not going to know about it until heaven. And there's other times that I know that it's this circumstance and it's the grief of the Holy Spirit over that and I get to connect with it and I get to pray in the Spirit. We need to become addicted to prayer. We need to become addicted to prayer not only in our personal devotional life, but we need to, as a church, become addicted to prayer as we come together in our corporate life. 
when we do that, we become consecrated. And what happens when you consecrate yourself? Did you read it there in Acts? They devoted themselves to these following things. And next week, we're going to talk about what happens. And I'll give you a hint. Joshua shared it. He said, consecrate yourselves to the Lord. And tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things. There's actually something we can do to align ourselves with some amazing things. I'm going to call upon the praise team to come. And as they get it to their instruments, I'm just going to make these points with you. I'm going to ask that during the next 16 minutes, 17 minutes, this might be a time where you want to find a place of prayer at your seat. You may want to come to the altar. You may need some special prayer in your life, and you would like Pastor Doug to pray for you or someone else to pray for you for healing or something like that. As we're moving into this time of worship, the main focus that we can have is this question. What's the number one thing that needs to become your passion? Your addiction. When I talked about those four things, you had to have sat there and said, oh, boy, kind of out of practice on that one. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I kind of struggle with that. That kind of builds some distance in there. Up. Oh, I only focus on that one area of prayer, and there's so many other areas of prayer. And you know what? This is a beginning. You can ask me. I can help you to explore those areas of prayer. As a church, as we come together for prayer, we can connect, and we can become more addicted to prayer. What will happen? He says, if you'll consecrate yourself, you're going to see amazing things tomorrow. What is a behavior that blocks you from that area? Can God help you change that? Can he? You bet. And what can you do to respond to the challenge for the next 21 days? What can we do to live in these next 21 days saying, Lord, I want to consecrate myself. I need to see some amazing, amazing things. And the pathway to that is to build a memorial before the Lord out in from the middle of the, the Jordan. It means consecrating myself and receiving all that you have for me. Isn't he a great God? What can we do to consecrate ourselves? And we can do that even now as they come and lead us in worship. Thank you. Let's stand together. Thank you, Father. We just invite you to move, Holy Spirit. I just invite you to lift up your hands just for the next few moments. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We invite you. We need your power. We need your strength. Oh, how we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Oh, how he loves us. When the light is falling and the day is done, I can hear you calling. Dreams of 
Let's all just stand to our feet. I just want to pray over you before I release you in Jesus' name. Consecration, becoming addicted. We need to celebrate our addictive personalities. We need to be glad that God has given us a personality such that when we get connected to the right thing, it can mean contentment. It can be love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, tenderness, compassion, all of these things, it's about getting it aligned right. When we can live with a contentedness that people say, I wish I had that. We can live with an agape love coming from our life say, I wish I had that. We begin to live an enviable lifestyle. Though we lived in a lean-to at the edge of a city dump, but because of the richness of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're addicted to Him, to His presence, to His Word, to communication with Him, to blessing in His name, to connecting to His grace and conveying it to other people. That is a great addiction. (laughs) And you know what? It's eternal. It connects right into heaven. So, Lord, we just lift our hearts before You. We want to be at Vision Church just a bunch of addicts. We want to be a group of people that are absolutely living, totally addicted to Your presence desiring to be with your people, celebrating your table, addicted to hospitality, addicted to covering people with your agape love, addicted to seeing wholeness and strength brought to people, addicted to prayer, that we will respond to that challenge that we hear from Yeshua, named Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim, and that we hear echoing in the book of Acts with the early church, with the apostles, that they devoted themselves, they were addicted to devoting themselves to you. It just doesn't get any better than that. Lord, help us get back to that foundation and to build that memorial in our lives. We pray your grace and your peace upon us as we go from this place, but not from your presence and not from your mission, 
And we ask your grace in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. The Lord bless you as you go. Have a great Sunday. And enjoy some consecration.